KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 103.9 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, welcome to Bridging Philly. I'm Raquel Williams. I'm Antoinette Lee. And I'm Charity Howard. For the past two years, we've been dealing with incredible amounts of stress. COVID and the ongoing uncertainty it brings is a heavy weight in itself. But the tragedies that we've been witnessing in real time also take a toll. Wars, mass shootings, on-again and off-again mandates that that constantly interrupt whatever sense of normalcy we're trying to achieve. Now take all of that and add the everyday stresses of life. We all just witnessed the absolutely unspeakable horror in Texas where innocent second, third, and fourth graders were gunned down with their teachers in school. Now, this is supposed to be a safe haven, a place where we entrust our children to others so they can learn, thrive, and be kids. The loss of a child is something no one parent should suffer, especially in this manner. Our hearts go out to all of those affected. We're all hurting, and though most of us feel like we can't cope, we must gather ourselves and find a way to heal and lead with love. Joining us today is Dr. Valerie Bronstein. She's a licensed psychologist and the founder of Philly Psychology, LLC. Welcome, Dr. Bronstein. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, many of us, doctor, are still trying to process what we just saw in Texas. The fact that we still aren't able to process it, it's pretty normal. It's like um, a big meal. It takes time to digest. I guess, doctor, seeing it play out and seeing the children, I I think that's really, really what really got us in our gut because they're just young, innocent lives. Right. Death of children is tragic at all times. And I think having ways to grieve ourselves and process ourselves And then step two, having ways to have discussions with our children that are age-appropriate, developmentally appropriate discussions that can help support them if they feel scared as well. I found, um, you know, in my own therapy and healing journey um, that it can be sort of helpful to define the things that we're experiencing. Um, And I know that you've done some work in the area of, of collective of trauma, right? Can you tell us about like what we as a society are experiencing as a whole right now? Yeah. So there are, it's obviously individualized for each person, right? So it's hard to kind of group everyone together, but If I had to do so, I would say anyone that's seen the footage, right, has seen something that's out of the realm of typical daily information that we that we um, receive. If you knew someone there and you were watching that that you loved, or you even maybe thought of like now my child or I'm a teacher, or kind of like we're able to identify with it, then it can be traumatic. Because, or if you have any experience with any kind of gun violence in your past, it can be triggering uh, for someone's own trauma and healing and recovery. You know, it's like, well, that's supposed to be a safe space. Where are the safe spaces? And it can bring up a lot of big feelings if someone has a history of trauma around guns, or if they don't and they, and it's just very scary. So people are experiencing all different levels of basically fear around this. And when that happens, everyone 
people, different people have different reactions, right? But we all kind of have to figure out a way to to cope and and create a discourse like you're doing. How is it different yeah. when you're addressing the five stages of grief? How do you do that differently well, with children? Well, one thing with children is their language is play, right? Children also go through those five stages, but they might look a little different. It might look like instead of talking about it, playing about it first, right? And that could be something as simple as having a little box of sand and a little figurine of a school or a bus and letting them, or little army figures and letting them kind of play it out. Cause like they don't necessarily verbalize. Also, we want to educate and letting them know how they're safe and creating like a safety plan and writing it down again, like concrete, keeping it concrete um, so they can see it and they can play it out. And then giving them books because even you might not have talked about death with your child before. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have all at least, you know, talked about it before, but this might be a, a totally new conversation. So there's a lot of good children's books like lifetimes um, that are developmentally appropriate for children around that age and can help create the conversation without overwhelming a child with too much information that might not be a developmentally appropriate. You know, Dr. Bronstein, I actually have been shielding my child from this. I have not let her know anything. When it comes on the television, I turn it off. The radio, I turn it down. The cops were in front of the the school yesterday, and I didn't address that. I've just completely left her in the dark about that. Is that, I mean, she's nine. She could probably handle a conversation. Should I be broaching that conversation with her, or is it okay to just completely shield it away from her and not even tell her about it? That's a good question. I think, again, it's child-specific. I haven't said anything to my children. They're seven and under, and they don't watch news, and I'm not about to say anything. Mm-hmm. So I understand where you're coming from. I have a eight-year-old nephew who, you know, is at Lower Marion and they're all doing drills where they, gun violence drills. So my sister isn't as lucky where she's able to, like, this is a discussion that has to happen because why are we doing these drills, mommy? Because what does your child know? What are they talking about at school? Because sometimes we don't know, like, how schools are addressing it, how much schools are saying and then figure out from there if they have any questions and addressing those questions rather than necessarily showing them any violent footage or, you know, avoiding the discussion. Can we talk about, you know, what happens in our bodies, um, you know, when we're seeing all of this loss and tragedy, either via social media or the news, um, when we hear about something like this? You're talking about the desensitization piece? I think that that's a normal, healthy coping skill to be able to like take information and put it aside and compartmentalize and go throughout your day, right? And at the same time, it's good for people to do what they can to protect themselves and others. As a follow-up to that, um, you know, for those of us who don't really have the option to exactly turn off the news um, and we have to respond and work through these tragedies, sometimes back to back, how do we hold on to our our humanity without becoming numb to everything that um, continues to happen? So I think one thing is if you can take any type of break, like 
even if it feels like you can't, because like, let's say you have, like you're in it and you have to do the work, like just like taking a minute and like closing your eyes or like saying something calming or taking a, like a bath or something to kind of get your um, nervous system down because it's like basically our, our sympathetic nervous systems are getting like so aroused with all this information. Things that I, I recommend to people that experience trauma to do, like there's a free app um, called PTSD Coach uh, that the VA put out. And that's very um, helpful and has a lot of different coping skills that are quick, can quickly be used because we have to be like kind of take care of ourselves in some way to be able to continue on or it just becomes like physically overwhelming as well as emotionally overwhelming. You know what I think is interesting, uh, doctor, is the fact that we don't have to necessarily experience the trauma firsthand to be affected by it. Case in point, after the situation in Buffalo where people, African-Americans mostly were shot in that grocery store, um, and then, of course, you know, dealing with what we, we just saw in Texas. When shopping the following weekend, the anxiety that I felt was ridiculous. I, I'm looking around and there are other people kind of looking. We all kind of had the same thought, you can tell. And we were extra cautious and just full of anxiety. The same thing, dropping your kid off at school after, you know, seeing something like the news in Texas. The anxiety sometimes feels so overwhelming and we didn't even experience it firsthand. Do we have to experience it firsthand to experience something like PTSD or that anxiety, that anxious feeling? No, definitely not that anxious feeling, obviously, because that's real. Um, PTSD also, no, you don't have to experience it firsthand. According to the DSM, you can you know, witness someone you love or are connected to. I think probably more research needs to be done on this kind of like collective trauma like you're talking about. Like if you witness someone you relate to or someone like in your culture or being targeted for being like something you identify with right like you know be it like trans or black or jewish or like i think that can cause those feelings definitely those feelings of hyper vigilance like you're talking about like looking around for threats that feeling of anxiety your your nervous system's been activated so no, you don't have to have been there. As a piggyback to what Raquel just said, we remember during the uh, the protest, watching a lot of this on the videos, and we weren't there, but we all took that in. And then we had the pandemic. We have all these things layering up. It's an accumulation of things, and you're talking about the nervous system. Now, when you're layering and unlayering these things, like what do you suggest? Right, breathing is really important because carbon dioxide oxygen exchange that happens can trigger your sympathetic nervous system um, or your parasympathetic nervous system. So it can trigger your fight or flight or it can trigger your calm. So if you can get a little hold on your breathing, that can like calm you down so that that feels at least more comfortable than being in that state. Things like ice on the back of the neck, taking little breaks for ourselves where we can kind of like decompress having the discussions right like talking about it not keeping it in but like what you're doing now is therapeutic like having the discussion because that encodes differently in the brain after we see these things if we talk about them 
and don't avoid talking about them, that helps your brain brain digest the information. And PTSD and trauma are maintained by a zone. So let's say someone then was like, I'm not going to bring my kid to school ever. Then like they're going to stay in a PTSD zone. So you don't want to go there either. Like, okay, I'm not going to go food shopping now. Okay, well, you're going to end up staying in a PTSD zone, you know? So it's like calculating these risks. So try to stay reality-based, but also try to keep momentum. Start momentum, try to keep momentum and work that pros and cons list. Yeah. And allowing yourself to feel it too. So it depends like where you are in the process. Absolutely. You know, we all brought up COVID. COVID is just driving all of us bonkers. I mean, just when we thought it was safe, we're taking off the masks, we're venturing back out, we're doing things, then it's mask on again, mask on, mask off. That is enough to cause you great anxiety, whether it's home, whether you're trying to live your life or, you know, the workplace or what have you. And, you know, as as we venture forth and and try to do more things with COVID and try to have whatever kind of normal life that we can have, um, it, it gets a little difficult when, you know, we have to interact with people socially. I'm, I'm wondering about the social interactions, doctor. Things have changed the way we greet each other. You know, you we meet someone, you don't know if you should shake their hand. Should you do a fist bump or an elbow bump? It, it gets really awkward. And I feel like we're kind of creating a new normal or new normals, so to speak. We don't, I don't know if we're going to get back to whatever normal was. You know, it's funny, like I've been doing kind of like pieces for about 10 years and I think it was like pre-pandemic in 2018. I was asked to do a piece on, um, you know, how hugs boost your uh, dopamine. Now, like the conversations are like that I'm asked to do are how, to manage people not being able to touch people and you know feeling socially isolated right so i think we know like like even though we're in this individualist culture that we need other people around us and that that helps our connection so i think knowing that and being aware of that information is very important as well remembering the importance of connection yeah, we've talked about a, a, a lot today, and and I, I want to end on this note about um, where do we go from here? You know, for, for many of us, our minds eventually go to wondering what we can do um, to change things, you know? So I, I was wondering if you have any tips on how we can move, you know, past grief uh, to action. Yeah, I think, again, um, having the, these discussions are really, is that are really important. I'm continuing to have these discussions, continuing to talk about how we're feeling, continuing to, you know, vote for stricter gun laws if, and continuing to check in on each other and support one another um, and support yourself in any way that you can. Well, Dr. Bronstein, thank you so much for joining us um, as we continue to navigate our lives and deal with the varying uh, tragedies that keep coming upon us. Hopefully we can uh, find some comfort in each other, talk it out, hug it out, as you say, as well, and um, just keep on um, keep on thriving. 
Sharaday Howard sits down with our newsmaker this week, Tracy Gordon, Register of Wills for the City of Philadelphia. As women of color from all backgrounds and communities across America take a chance and transition their grassroots advocacy into mainstream politics, the awareness that having women, and specifically women of color, in positions of power can affect real change through affecting policy. In Philadelphia, that's also proving true for people like former community advocate turned elected official, Register of Wills, Tracy L. Gordon, who went from mom and block captain to mom and madam register. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Now, madam, you hold quite a few titles. So as an elected official, I serve as register wills and clerk of office court. So you're the real deal. You're the community advocate who turned politician. And you say you did it because you really wanted to affect change and you knew it was more effective through policy. Yeah, I have a sort of weird journey. Now, I know you know this, the saying started at the bottom, now I'm here. <laughs> yes. I started as a block captain, a concerned parent who was concerned about the well-being of my four children and the environment that I was bringing them up in. Mm -hmm. And I found out as a block captain, it gave me power to be able to get information from the city and disseminate it to the community to assist us in quality of life issues. And from there, I went on to be a committee woman. And it's a political job. And I start being around political uh, circles. And I attended every meeting because I was just really concerned about quality of life, crime, drug, better schools. And speaking up uh, for the voiceless. I learned that a lot of power came with being elected official. And I ran for a city commissioner, city council. And I ran for these offices basically because I felt I would be more qualified because at the end of the day, as, as a grassroots organizer, is people just want basic support. They want to be heard. And the only way I felt in a city like this to be able to solve problems is to be in the position of authority, just being a rebel rouser. But I also call myself an elected activist. And here I serve now going into my third year. So in some way, you figured out the formula. You recognize that being a mother and having real life experience, that experience can really inform effective policy. Yeah. Um, so as my role as registered wills, I made key goals in my administration, and that was to help the underserved and underprivileged communities who had not been able to access the generational wealth and power passed on to them by their families. I tied it into the poverty rate, you know, because I've always heard city of Philadelphia is the largest, poorest city in the, in the nation. You know, we understand that's the label you're giving us. Okay, so how do we solve this? And the fact that I learned one of the main reasons why we are one of the poorest, largest cities here in Philadelphia is because we're sitting on 10,000 tangled titles. In other words, people are living in homes that they don't legally own, so they can't do legal things for those properties. And as a result, it's become a safety issue for our community and it's become a problem. And maybe you're a perfect example of having a woman of color in a position of power who can uniquely see the needs of a community. Yeah, because they're going to trust me. They trust me because they trusted me as an activist. So it's not like I was a typical politician, which most people don't trust. They look at me like I'm them. And I want them to look at me like we're the same because I look at this office as an office of privilege and an office that I am supposed to serve. In this instance, where yes, it does disproportionately affect Black American households because 
most of our households are headed by Black women. And when we look at these 10,000 tangled titles, we're not looking at 10,000 titles, 10,000 buildings. We're looking at 10,000 families. Right now, we are in such a crisis. University of Penn put out a study that said if one of these houses was able to get basic system repair grants, crime would go down on that block. 22%. So magnify that by 10,000 houses. There is no way in the world we're going to be able to ever move up into the rank of not being the poorest, largest city until we address that issue. Penn Charitable Trust put out a map. The city controller put out a map during the same period to show where the high rate of gun violence was. When you look at both of those maps, they're identical. The amount of the violent crime that's happening in our city in certain zip codes, which is brown and black neighborhoods, coincides with the amount of tangled titles. And then Penn told us that if these properties be able to be put into these family names legally, then they could be able to qualify for home improvement loans. Low equity loans are sending kids to college. Because it's all connected. Now we look up at the highest court in the land. We see the Supreme Court and the possibility of a Black woman taking one of those seats. How important is that? So why shouldn't someone that look like us represent us when we're the ones that have the highest voting block? That's simple. We just never got the credit because it was a lot of sexism. And it still is a lot of sexism in America. It's our time because... We're finally saying, hey, why why do we have to be the king or queen maker? Why can't we be the king or the queen? It's very important. She's overqualified for that position. We've been qualified. There's plenty of us that are attorneys, uh, doctors and lawyers. We're just as qualified as our white counterparts. I think that Black women see that we have the most to stand and lose because every day when I look at TV, All I see is the carnage of our children and families dying every day. We have to to get in those positions because I believe I was a problem solver as a single mother and I could be a problem solver as an elective official. So why not? And recently, the Crown Act has been a matter of topic. And this is a prime example of how policy directly impacts women of color and black women in particular. Because no one else's job is dependent on whether or not they wear braids or locks. Yeah, I mean, if I, I, I'll be honest. I wear my braids proudly, but sometimes I think, I have an interview, should I wear my braids? Should I take them out? Like, these are all questions. But this is a hairstyle. This is a hairstyle that we, there's different hairstyles. I mean, who has the right to define what a proper hairstyle is? Why is the standard Eurocentric. You know, um, our standard of beauty, we wear our hair in all different ways. What I don't understand is when I read about children not being allowed to graduate because they have locked. In 2022, the Crown Act, I don't even understand why it even has to be a bill that's passed to force people to understand and respect a person's right or decision to wear their hair the way they want. We have different type of hair. Brains are beautiful. Denominated for Skoda, she has what we consider sister locks. They look beautiful. I was really proud to see her sitting there at attention with her sister locks. I was like, oh, she has sister locks, you know? I was proud of that. The main thing is I want my granddaughter to be comfortable with wearing her hair naturally. I perm my hair for years. It does a lot of damage to your hair. You know, I stopped perming my hair. It's a little more maintenance, but I feel much better not burning my scalp. I want my granddaughter to go to an interview and be judged on her intelligence and not her hairstyle. We have come a long way 
we wear our hair in all different styles comfortably. And I'm glad that I lived to see the day that braids are normal to me. Locks is normal to me. Afros are normal. They're not just statements. They're just the way I want to wear my hair. You know, because there are a minority of people that still want to discriminate and tell us how to wear our hair, that is necessary, that there needs to be some legislation to protect us. Now, what do you tell that young girl who wants to be a judge, who wants to be a lawyer, who wants to make her community better? What do you tell her? I always tell them, when people tell people you can be you know, whatever you want to be. It takes hard work too. This has been a long, hard journey for me. I've always had to fight for my right to run for office, but I never gave up. It's another day and dream on. You might lose the first time, the second time. Always remember, at least I tried. Madam Register, thank you so much for joining us here at Bridging Philly. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. Presented by Deborah Advanced Behavioral Health. KYW's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. Happy Black History Month. This week, we're highlighting a very special kid. We're highlighting some black excellence. He could be the next Denzel Washington in the making or maybe the next Kendrick Lamar. Here's Mikey Cooper on Bridging Philly. Mikey Cooper is a 16-year-old from North Philly with a lot of talent and charisma. I start uh, as Tyus Crane in the premiere of Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, which was 50 Cent spinoff series uh, the power universe um and most recently um which has been announced march 18th amy schumer comes out with her uh hulu series called life and beth which i star and reoccur in as young lavar and he's multi-talented too an actor poet rapper and one of the youngest writers for the jimmy fallon's kids tonight show he's not new to it he's true to it cooper has been in the entertainment industry since he was just six years old his inspiration his mother. Oh, yes. She is definitely proud of me. That's my that's my backbone. That's my support system. I know that um, she is the most proud of me out of everybody. He says his mission is not only to share his gifts with the world, but he also hopes to inspire others to go after their dreams. And he says he hopes to change perspectives about the place he calls home. That is the mission to reshape that perspective that, you know, you all that all North Philly is known for is killing and the homicide rates in this city in general is just known for the homicide rates and all of that and how this is a hot spot for that it's not there's light in this city there's beautiful light in this city and i try to shine a light on that everywhere i go and be a walking representation of that the senior who graduates next year says he plans to spend a couple of gap years auditioning and building his career in the future he also has dreams of creating opportunities for more philly kids like that give them an opportunity of hope that that's just not the only outlet give them the resources to see those other outlets so Things like workshops and classes and stuff like that for people of all entertaining fields who want to, who, you know, an artistic outlet who want to do something else. And, you know, there's a light in them that could be nurtured and brought to the forefront. In the meantime, remember the name because Mikey Cooper is the next big star to watch out for. Rapping is one of your favorite hobbies. So, you know, I, I don't ask rappers onto the show without asking them to rap something for me. <laughs> Okay, 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 let's do it. Listen, <clears throat> so 
This is what we doing. We elevating the mind. I'm a different breed. I'm elevating the kind. You'll find my mind, intellect, reach to the stars, and you'll see the zenith in here. I go really far, a spaceship in time. I'm warping through portals. You'll find it's a half you stuck with the magic between. In a line, these rappers talk about their chakras is good. Not a line, but I'm aligning my spirit so that I can reach God. Potentially, I'm the divine. Honest to be true is key. Spitting so sick and eloquently. These rappers believe that spiritual line is me. Between you, not so competition. I never seen. I see all of my brothers in the line unified. These rappers fine. Lyrically spitting at my time. I'm prime. This is that. Digit that move. Why? Cause you'll find my number is Angel Y. Fly. Now, if you're interested in following Mikey along in his journey, he's active on Instagram at Mikey Cooper. In addition to the many things that he does and and takes pride in, he also has a podcast and a YouTube channel. So you can find the links to that on his Instagram. That's it for this week's Philly Rising Changemaker, y'all. If you know a Philly Rising Changemaker we should highlight next, please reach out. You can find me on Twitter at ARLeeOnAir. That's A-R-L-E-E on air. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Oregon donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me, Raquel on air. And please subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Sharaday Howard, and our producer, Arian Fulcher, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs>